The 3-2 on the way. Swing and a miss. Hudson gets him. Throws his glove towards his teammates as they race out of the dugout. And the celebration begins for the Washington Nationals as they come together in a cluster on the infield. This improbable story from mid-May on as the Nationals overcame a dreadful start to the season, got hot, and just continued right on through the postseason. And for the first time ever, the Washington Nationals are World Series champions. The city of D.C. has baseball for the first time in almost 33 years, and for the first time in about 3,500 days, the city of D.C. has a World Series champion. Hello, everybody. Tanner Hoops with you Thursday afternoon. Glad to have you along per usual. That audio courtesy, we're nuts about the Nats, that comes from PFT Commentator on Twitter. It makes you wonder, four weeks ago, if Trent Grisham cleanly fielded a ground ball to right field how much different things would look i'm not trying to rub it into brewers fans i'm just speculating how different the baseball landscape would look right now but the washington nationals are world series champions for the first time in franchise history that franchise started up in montreal in 1969 and since they've moved to dc and become world series champions they went through a few tough years in fact, from 2011 to 2013, they lost a total of 324 games. At one point this season, they were 12 games under 500. They lost 31 of their first 50. People were calling for the firing of manager David Martinez. People were calling for the trade of star Anthony Rendon because he would be a free agent at the end of the year. Might as well get what you can get for him. And now the Nationals are World Series champions as we come at you on Halloween Day. The final day of October, the Washington Nationals sit atop of the baseball world, and they will do so until next March. I tell you what, how much fun was that World Series? Brewers fans, let's put it aside. I know you're still upset at the Nationals. I know what happened in the wild card game. But how do you not root for the Nats after what went on with Houston during that series? During these playoffs, even. With everything that went on, the Nats being that underdog story, and what they did to overcome all obstacles, get by Verlander, Grinky in Game 7 last night, who was having the game of his life up till about the 6th, 7th inning, and win your first ever championship. How do you not root for a story like that? I tell you what, 
Steven Strasburg won World Series MVP. It's hard to argue after what he did a couple of nights ago in Game 6. I still would have liked to have seen Howie Kendrick get it. And maybe a little bit of my bias comes from that grand salami back in Game 5 of the NLDS. But the go-ahead home run in the World Series winner-take-all Game 7? To me, that's what puts him over the edge. I tell you what, I loved this World Series. I really did. Not just because one of my favorite players of all time got a World Series ring. Brian Dozier was my favorite Minnesota twin when he was still with them. Still heartbroken to see him leave. He gets a World Series ring. Kurt Suzuki gets a World Series ring. Fernando Rodney, I was never that attached to when he was a twin. But he was a twin, and he gets a World Series ring. I'm happy for these guys. I'm happy for that city and for that fan base. The Washington Nationals are World Series champions 2019 as they beat the Astros last night 6-2. Steven Strasburg is the World Series MVP. You know, I know Brewer fans, I know how they feel today. Trent Grisham misplaying that ground ball to right field four weeks ago. You wonder how differently this might have looked. I know how Brewers fans feel. I wonder how Tiger fans feel. Because Anibal Sanchez, Max Scherzer, both win World Series. Justin Verlander, right there, in the World Series, again. I'm not trying to rub dirt in anybody's face. I just wonder how our local fans are feeling. I tell you what, baseball season has come and gone. We've got Halloween tonight, but I tell you what, I'm going to miss baseball season. But what a way to send it out. The Washington Nationals win their first ever World Series. A wild card team, they lost 31 of their first 50 games this season. People were calling for Davey Martinez's head. And here they are, kings of Major League Baseball. And it was Roadhouse. How weird was that? No home team won a World Series game this year. The way you describe this series? Roadhouse. Roadhouse. The road team won all seven games of this series. I just can't imagine it. Not in a series of this caliber. I tell you what, I've got a lot to get to today, and a lot of it pertains to the NFL. Let's turn our attention to that when we come back in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Thursday afternoon. I tell you what, we continue with the NFL. we got a lot of NFL stuff to get into today. What I want to talk about for the next few minutes is quarterbacks, specifically backup quarterbacks. It's a really fun topic. Really fun segment we've got coming up. Who is the cream of the crop when it comes to backup quarterbacks? And where are they going to play next year? How much are they going to get paid? And where will they play next year? Who's going to be looking for a quarterback by the time next season comes around? Well, you think about the incoming college quarterback class. It seems like there's about, can we say on average, five guys who actually stick for at least a year or two. You know, they stick and they have the intention of being a franchise quarterback going forward. Is that fair to say we got about five guys from each quarterback class? This year we've got a few interesting prospects. We have Tua Tagovailoa, we have Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, just to name a few. I tell you what, when you look at that group, and I'll say this, 
It's about an average of five guys that are drafted with the intention of being franchise quarterbacks. Maybe I should say only two on average, two out of that five on average actually pans out for being more than just a bridge guy, being just a one or two year guy, or a straight up bust. Maybe only two out of five in a given year stick. Is that fair to say? That's probably about average. But I tell you what, I look at this year's quarterback class, and I don't see a lot of guys that are jumping out to me as NFL franchise quarterbacks. I really don't think Tua's going to make it. For one thing, he can't stay healthy. He just can't stay healthy. That and the fact that he's a left-handed quarterback and those just don't work out in the NFL, or they haven't for how long now, I just don't think Tua's going to be an NFL quarterback. I don't see Joe Burrow. I'm not even convinced that he is the best college quarterback right now or that he is a real Heisman contender. Right now he is, but I'm not totally convinced that Joe Burrow can play at the next level. But I do like him. I am rooting for him. Jake Fromm just looks lost right now. Justin Herbert should have went to the draft last year. He killed his own stock by coming back for his senior year. And who knows what Jalen Hurts is going to translate into. Jalen Hurts is fascinating. But going to the NFL? I don't know. I don't. I don't, honestly don't know if that translates. So this year's quarterback class is going to be interesting. But there's really nobody right now that I feel confident in being a franchise quarterback going forward. Although somebody is going to go all in on Tua, maybe the Dolphins with the number one overall pick. I don't know that I like that, but you can't blame for trying. So I tell you what, you look at this year's backup quarterback class. Guys already in the NFL that are in backup roles. Some guys are playing pretty well. There are some teams that have two quality quarterbacks while others have none. So where can those number twos go next year? First of all, let's take a look at the landscape of backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, I want to clarify this, that if a guy has lost his starting job, I put him in as a backup. If there was an injury to the number one and the guy's just stepping up and filling in, I'm still including him as a backup because presumably he loses his starting job when the original starter comes back. So I've got in front of me a list of all 32 NFL teams, number two quarterback on their depth chart right now, excluding injury. And the list includes Drew Locke, Matt Moore, Terod Taylor, Mike Glennon, Mason Rudolph, Garrett Gilbert, Robert Griffin III, Ryan Finley, Jared Stidham, Matt Barkley, Josh Rosen, Trevor Simeon, Brian Hoyer, A.J. McCarron, Garner Minshew, Marcus Mariota, C.J. Beathard, Geno Smith, Blake Bortles, Brett Hunley, Cam Newton, Matt Schwab, Blaine Gabbert, Teddy Bridgewater, Tim Boyle, Sean Mannion, Chase Daniel, David Blau, Dwayne Haskins, Eli Manning, Nate Sudfeld, and Cooper Rush. Now those are the 32 backups in the NFL right now, at least listed number two in the depth chart, excluding injury. So I want to throw in a few other names, guys that may not be number two, but they've gotten NFL reps, and maybe they could be on the move somewhere else. I just want to throw a few of these guys up there. I'm not saying by any stretch you need to shell out, open your pocketbook, because you can't miss on these guys. But I just want to throw a few of them up there and see if they stick. Taysom Hill, he's pretty interesting. Number three quarterback with New Orleans, but he sees the field in a lot different of a capacity than as a quarterback. But I think he could play quarterback, and a lot of people seem to think so. Maybe Taysom Hill is a prospect. How about Nick Mullins out of San Francisco? Right now he's behind Jimmy G and Beathard. But Mullins has looked fairly good when he's gotten NFL snaps. So those all came last year, and it was a very limited sample size. But he's a young, interesting prospect. Maybe a team is willing to take a chance on Nick Mullins. 
How about Kyle Allen, a guy who up until Sunday hadn't lost a game as a starter and hadn't thrown an interception. He looked really bad against a really good San Francisco defense. But could Kyle Allen be a guy who goes on the move? How about Jeff Driscoll? Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big in the market for Jeff uh Jeff Driscoll, but he is a guy that has taken NFL reps before. Colt McCoy is kinda in that same boat. You're not really excited about him, but if something happens to your starter, wouldn't be a bad guy to have on the team as a backup. Josh McCown came out of retirement this year. Right now he's third string in Philadelphia, but again, NFL reps, just in case something happens, just in case he's your ace in the hole. Luke Falk. Yeah, I'm not excited about that one either. Luke Falk, I tell you what, he is maybe going to hang around here the next couple of years as a backup, but he did have that 22-25 performance on Monday Night Football, be it it was the most uninspiring 22-25 I think I've ever seen. Deshaun Kaiser, he's a third stringer right now in Oakland behind Derek Carr and Mike Lennon, but he's taken some first-team reps. At one point, the Browns looked like they were going to make him their franchise quarterback. Maybe he's still got it. Maybe... Yeah, I tell you this, I would like Deshaun Kaiser over quite a few backups, probably most of the backups in the NFL right now. Maybe there are a few starters he couldn't be any worse than, I tell you what. Devlin Hodges, depending on how things do end up in Pittsburgh, I don't know. Devlin Hodges hasn't looked awful, can we agree? Maybe he can be elevated to a number two somewhere. And then Ryan Fitzmagic. You know that Fitzpatrick will be in the league somewhere next year. He's not going to be in Miami. Because who knows what happens with Josh Rosen, and who knows what happens with the draft. If Tua or some other quarterback is drafted by Miami, there is no place for Ryan Fitzpatrick going forward. So where does Fitzmagic go? Because he will be somewhere. He is an NFL journeyman. He is a lifer as a journeyman. So those are the names. 41 names as potential starting quarterbacks somewhere next year. All of them backups, but could anybody on this list start somewhere next year? Well, the ones that jump out to me right off the bat, number one, Teddy Bridgewater. Number two, Gardner Minshew. And then maybe you get guys like Josh Rosen up there. How about Terod Taylor? Do you think Cleveland Browns fans would rather have Terod Taylor? Do you think they wish they kept Terod Taylor and they had him instead of Baker Mayfield right now? Because I kind of get the idea that they do. I tell you what, if I'm looking at this list and I'm putting together my top three guys that I want, well, okay, let's say, let's do this, because you can do it in two different ways. You can do it in terms of value, like how talented the guy is, or you can do it in terms of money, finances, if you're giving this guy a long-term deal, or if you get him for a year or two on a vet's minimum. Because if the list is strictly based on talent, then Teddy Bridgewater has got to be at the top as far as backup quarterbacks go, doesn't he? Teddy Bridgewater. But again, who knows if he's going anywhere because maybe he knows that he is getting the keys to Sean Payton's offense. Maybe he knows that when Drew Brees retires, Teddy Bridgewater is the man in New Orleans. And we've seen it already that Teddy touchdown and Sean Payton's a pretty good combination. So maybe that's in the works. In which case... Who is the most talented backup other than Teddy Bridgewater in this list? I really think it's Garner Minshew. I really do. You guys know I am a huge Garner Minshew fan. And more than just for what he does on the field. Because he is such a great personality. Such a great story. Gives us great content. But he can ball. Garner Minshew can ball. And he is keeping Jacksonville in the playoff hunt. 
Now, he's going to lose his job to Nick Foles when Foles comes back. He was practicing this week. He'll be eligible to return to competition in about three weeks. And he's going to lose that starting job because they've invested so much more into Foles. $88 million, in fact, than they have with Minshew. So Garner Minshew is very likely going to be on the move because that dude can ball. You tell me that he wouldn't go to New York right now and he would beat out Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones for the starting job? Are you telling me that Garner Minshew... I mean, and think about this. I want you to consider this if you've watched Garner Minshew tape. Don't just say he's a backup for a reason and a sixth-round pick because that was Tom Brady when he came into the league. And I'm not saying Garner Minshew's Tom Brady. I'm saying don't write him off if you haven't watched the guy play because he can ball. Could Garner Minshew not go to Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco? Three teams that have all the pieces but quarterback and immediately elevate them. I would take him over Jimmy Garoppolo if I'm San Francisco. I would absolutely take him over Mitch Trubisky. And it may not be popular, but I would absolutely take him over Dak Prescott if I'm Jerry Jones. Don't give Dak Prescott $40 million to be a game manager when you can get Minshew for cheap and be a much better quarterback, a quarterback who's actually going to drop dimes and make plays. How about a few other names on this list? I said to Rod Taylor, Matt Moore, he looked pretty good the other night, but how much was that Andy Reid? Because Matt Moore wasn't running the explosive offense Pat Mahomes does with that Chiefs team. Matt Moore was successful on Sunday night because he was getting the ball out quick with little check downs. That being said, you can make that work and be a really successful quarterback by doing that. Who are a few other names on this list? Dwayne Haskins needs to get out of D.C., but that won't happen. Dwayne Haskins is stuck with the Redskins and vice versa. I said in terms of talent, the top three is probably, well, it's Teddy and it's Minshew, and then who? Is it Terod Taylor? Is it Josh Rosen? Is it even Fitzmagic? Because I know Fitzmagic, you might not say, is a top three talent in any category. But he's won some games over his years, and he's a lot better than a lot of these names I see on this list right now. How about in terms of monetary value, not talent value, but sign a guy for a vet minimum, a guy that can be a game manager at this point in his career, and he can be stable for you, win with the right pieces? Where does Eli Manning fall into that category? If you can get Eli Manning for a vet minimum, sign him to a one, two-year deal, if anything, have him mentor a young quarterback, maybe cause a little bit of competition, wouldn't you do it? I would. I'd do it. My only question is, is there an NFL GM or an owner out there who agrees with me? Marcus Mariota. I tell you what, I think his time in Tennessee is done. He's already lost his starting job to Tannehill. I think his time in Tennessee is done, and maybe so is his future in the NFL as a franchise quarterback. Marcus Mariota might be a guy that someone will take a chance on next year. And I feel for him because he could have been a generational talent, but he was never built around in Tennessee. He will not be a Tennessee Titan next year. I know that. And some team will take a shot on him. What about Blake Bortles? It's another interesting name on the list. Even the year that he got cut, that he was a scapegoat for Jacksonville in a disappointing 5-11 and season, his numbers were pretty similar to the previous year when they went to the AFC Championship. Could Blake Bortles get another shot somewhere in the NFL? I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't pay a lot of money for him. 
But as far as backup quarterbacks go, talent-wise, and probably in terms of monetary value, Blake Bortles probably is a top-10 guy in the NFL. And then, of course, you have Cam Newton. Depending what happens here in Carolina between him and Kyle Allen, Cam Newton could be up for grabs next year. And he's got a skill set that doesn't age well, and we're seeing it right now. Cam Newton's a guy I'm out on. I'm out on. He doesn't have the arm strength, and right now he doesn't have the health to continue to play the way that has made him successful. If I can get Cam Newton on a dime, where I don't have to pay a lot of money for him, I'll probably do that. But Cam Newton is not a guy that I want to sign to a long-term contract or shell out a lot of money for. Let me take my chances in the draft or go out and get one of the guys that I mentioned already. The trade deadline has come and gone, and that means we have this to speculate about here in ESPN-UP. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, who is really in the NFL MVP running? We'll talk about it next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Thursday afternoon. Who is for real and who is not in the NFL MVP race? The answer to this question, I believe, is tied into who is for real and who is not in the NFL playoff race. Who is in the playoff picture? Who is a contender and who is a pretender? Those answers intertwine with each other. I'll speak to that in a moment. First, let me give you the updated NFL MVP odds. These are the latest odds courtesy of Caesar Sportsbook in Las Vegas. Aaron Rodgers is currently the front runner. Caesars has him at plus 175 odds, followed by Russell Wilson at plus 200. Then you've got Pat Mahomes, out injured right now, and Christian McCaffrey at plus 600. So McCaffrey, his team coming off a 51-13 loss on Sunday, and Pat Mahomes, who is out, with a need dislocation. Those two have the same odds right now to win the MVP. Then you have Lamar Jackson at plus 900, rounding out the top five, Dalvin Cook, and Tom Brady. Those are the NFL MVP candidates with the best odds, according to Caesar Sportsbook in Las Vegas. So who is still going to be there? Who is going to stick when it's all said and done? I tell you what, Pat Mahomes may be the best player on that list. Maybe. Calm down, Roger fans. I said maybe there's a debate to be had there, but he's not winning MVP this year. His missed time is going to hurt him. I'm worried he's going to rush himself back, and he's not going to get to the 50-touchdown, 5,000-yard threshold again this season. People are going to look at that and say Mahomes didn't have as good of a year as he did last year. Other guys had better years. I know Mahomes may not put up those numbers due to injury, But Mahomes is not going to win MVP again this year. He might be the most talented player in this list. Some of you think Aaron Rodgers is. Some think Tom Brady is. But Pat Mahomes could be. But he's not going to win MVP again this year. Christian McCaffrey. If the Panthers don't make the playoffs, it will not be Christian McCaffrey's fault. But if the Panthers don't make the playoffs, I don't believe Christian McCaffrey wins MVP. And whether that's right or wrong, I know the NFL and I know how they operate. And I don't believe he will win it if the Panthers don't make the playoffs. And I don't think they're going to. Dalvin Cook? To me, Dalvin Cook may be the best running back in football right now. It's either him or McCaffrey, I would say, are the best running backs in football right now. I don't think either will win the MVP this year. Cook has a really good offense. That's great. 
it can also be a curse in some ways. Because you've got so many weapons there, the Vikings are going to distribute the football. Cook will not be relied on as heavy as he was in the first couple of weeks of the year when his stats really inflated. To me, the Vikings are just going to share the sugar too much. That might result in victories. That might be good for the Vikings overall. But it may not be good for Dalvin Cook's MVP chances. Not when you're comparing your numbers to a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, who are dictating every play. They are gaining numbers on every play. Tom Brady, I just don't think, will be an MVP candidate this year. I really don't. He'll be in the conversation. He always is. But I think a lot of people look at the New England defense and think that they have more to do with the Patriots' success this year than their offense. It's the first time it's probably happened in Brady's career, but Brady's never had a defense this good. So that's why I don't think Tom Brady will be there, and Lamar Jackson just isn't going to be there. I like Lamar Jackson. I think he's for real, but he's been not as consistent as I'd like for him to win the MVP this year. So right now, I strongly agree that Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are the two favorites in the NFL MVP race. So which one of those two is going to be this year's MVP? Well, I said that it may very well come down to where each team finishes in their divisions, what the playoff field looks like, and who is getting into the postseason or not. Let me give you my teams at the halfway point of the year, the teams that I think are going to make the playoffs. In the NFC, I think it is the six teams that are in playoff position right now. I think Minnesota and Green Bay both come out of the North. I still think the Vikings win this division. I really do. Until Green Bay wins at Minnesota, while Mike Zimmer's a Vikings head coach, I'm still picking the Vikings to win that division. That being said, Green Bay is just too good not to get to the playoffs. San Francisco is for real. They showed it. They showed it this weekend. They showed it about every weekend. And they'll make the playoffs. But I'm still confident Seattle can win that division. I really am. So I think the West and the North send two teams. New Orleans is still my pick to win the NFC. They're going to win the South. I still think they're going to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. And then someone's got to win the East. And it's probably going to be Dallas. It'll be a team that lost to the New York Jets, who makes the postseason, representing a very poor East division. How about in the AFC? Well, I think New England is probably going to win the AFC. I think they're going to the Super Bowl. I think Baltimore is going to win the North, de facto. Pittsburgh's bad. Cleveland's bad. Cincinnati's bad. And Baltimore at times looks really good, but they've had their moments. That being said, they're going to win the North. I think Indianapolis could be for real. Uh, Jacoby Brissett has stepped in, and he's done his job. He's done really well in place of Andrew Luck. And they've got good pieces around him. Maybe they've dropped off a little bit from Andrew Luck. I won't say they haven't missed a beat. But to me, they look good enough to get to the postseason. I think them and Houston both get in from the South. And Kansas City is still my pick to win the West. So then it comes down to that last playoff spot. And there are a few teams I like for it. This is where I'm undecided. I'm pretty confident in 11 to 12 playoff teams. But who could be the other wild card in the AFC? You can't deny Buffalo's in the chase at 5-2. and two. You can't deny that defense is for real. Even if they get in, I don't think they do much because that's when it's quarterback time, when you get to the playoffs. And Josh Allen is not the guy that's going to do that for you. It could be Oakland. It could be Oakland that does it. I know they're 3-4 and four right now, but Oakland's been in about every football game that they've played. It very well could be Oakland and Chuck getting into the postseason. And then there's Jacksonville. Garner Minshew's kept them alive. Nick Foles knows a thing or two about late-season runs to get into the playoffs and then a deep playoff run. 
of any of those teams, if they were to get in, if I were confident in any of them to actually do anything once they got in, it'd be Jacksonville, and then Oakland, and then Buffalo. I don't know which one I like more right now, but those are the three teams that I believe have a shot, the best shot, at getting that second AFC wildcard berth. So I tell you what, going back to the MVP race, to me right now it's far and away a race between Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And while it may not be fair, it may very well come down to who won their division. Because I expect good things out of both of them in the playoffs. But when you look at their body work throughout the regular season, if the Seahawks win their division like I suspect them to, and Green Bay is in as a wildcard team, that might put Russell Wilson over the top. That West division is better, and if Russell Wilson can lead his team to a division title and Aaron Rodgers gets a wild card, even if Aaron Rodgers does find a way to win the division, which would be more impressive, winning the NFC West or winning the NFC North? To me, that's why Russell Wilson has an edge. Now, I don't know if that's warranted or if that's fair or if that's right, but I do believe that is what it's going to come down to. While we're on the subject, let's talk about NFL Coach of the Year prospects. Because Pete Carroll, you got to think, is in the mix for it. Belichick is always in the mix for it. Andy Reid? Let's see how much longer he has to work with Matt Moore. I think John Harbaugh is going to get a lot of consideration for it. The guy I really like out of the AFC right now is Frank Reich. Frank Reich is an innovator. Frank Reich was put into a bad situation a month before the season started. And yet the Colts are still right there. I think they're going to be playoff bound as a wild card team in the AFC. I think they'll contend for that division down to the last week. But what Frank Reich has done, adjusting the offense away from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett, is really, really impressive. It's not something where you just insert a different quarterback. It's not a system where you can just plug somebody else in and expect them to succeed. Because the skill sets between Luck and Brissett are so different that Reich had to adjust how that offense runs. It's not a system where you can take any quarterback and just interchange him. Frank Reich redesigned his offense less than a month before the season kicked off, and now his team is 5-2. and two. And Jacoby Brissett is getting better. His play is continuing to elevate itself. He won, like, what, four games as a Colts starter coming into this season? And he's won five already this year? Frank Reich, to me, has the strongest case of anybody to be NFL Coach of the Year this year. You could say something for John Gruden if Oakland gets to the postseason. But again, playoffs are going to factor into this decision. I think Frank Reich has the edge over Gruden if Indianapolis makes the playoffs and Oakland doesn't. And that's what I'm leaning toward right now. Cal Shanahan, if the Niners keep going on this pace, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the conversation or make a case why he shouldn't be the NFL Coach of the Year. Sean Payton won five games with a backup quarterback. He'll be in the conversation. What about Matt LaFleur in his first year? Takes the Packers to a 7-1 record to start the season. Could Matt LaFleur be the NFL Coach of the Year this year? Right now, those are the coaches that come to mind when I think NFL Coach of the Year. Those are the legit candidates. But to me, there is no better resume right now than Frank Reich. Sean Payton is going to be a finalist. I think John Gruden could be a finalist, and Kyle Shanahan will be a finalist. 
But to me, Frank Reich, unless we have a massive collapse in the second half of the year, Frank Reich is the NFL Coach of the Year. And I tell you what, we are going to get into a little bit of midseason award speculation. We are going to do an ESPN-UP Sports Pen midseason award NFL team. I'm going to give you the best players at each position in both conferences. Plus, we'll do the same thing for head coaches. That and more next from the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as we wind down this Thursday afternoon, this Halloween afternoon. Hope you're going to have some fun plans, some safe plans, what have you. Tell you what, I love Halloween weekend. I really do. I love the movies and everything that leads up to it. I gave you my movie power rankings yesterday. But let me give you this now, and that is my midseason all-pro teams for each NFL conference, or both the NFC and the AFC. If I had a vote, if I were putting together a starting 11 on both sides of the ball, plus we'll throw in a little special teams because we can't forget about them, this is who I would pick. This is the player that stood out to me the most at each position from each conference as we hit the unofficial midway point in the season. Let's start with the AFC. Let me give you my midseason all-pro AFC team. We'll start on offense. We'll start at the quarterback position. And I tell you what, to me, the most talented quarterback is not the guy that I'm putting on this list. Because Pat Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in the AFC. I do believe that. But the body of work itself, Mahomes, I know he's been dealing with some injuries. They've affected his numbers, what have you. And because of that, I'm going to list Deshaun Watson as my midseason All-Pro AFC quarterback. Watson has passed for 2,231 yards at six most in the NFL, and he's passed for 16 touchdowns, tied for second most in the NFL, along with Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Watson is the guy I'm going to put in as my quarterback for the midseason AFC All-Pro team. The two running back positions, I know I should do a fullback. I'm not going to. We're just going to do two running backs, regardless of halfback, fullback, what have you. And I tell you what, it's weird because the two guys I'm picking at the midseason point are two guys who may not be starters at the end of the year. Number one is Nick Chubb in the Cleveland Browns. He might lose his starting job to Kareem Hunt. Who knows here in a few weeks when Hunt is eligible to return. But right now, he's third in the NFL, not just the AFC, but the NFL in rushing yards with 738. And he's fifth in rushing touchdowns with six. Nick Chubb is one of the only players, I think there's only two of them, to appear in the top five in both of those categories so far this year. So it's going to make the decision pretty tough for Freddie Kitchens, Kareem Hunt, or Nick Chubb, when Hunt is eligible to return. The other running back that I'm going to put up here at the midway point is a guy who already lost his starting job. That's Austin Eckler from the Chargers. And I know that sounds weird, but hear me out. If you were giving me one game... If i got to put the best team together through the first half of the season, you give me one game, and the guys whose skill set gives me the best chance to win that game, I'm going to go with Austin Eckler. Because he is, right now, the best receiving running back in the NFL. Right now, per Pro Football Focus, he has the highest receiving grade of any skills position player in the NFL. That includes wide receivers, tight ends, That includes Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. No, it's Austin Eckler who's been the most efficient pass catcher this season out of any position group. 
He has 51 catches, 23 of which have gone for first downs. That is by far most for an NFL running back. Oh, and by the way, yards after the catch is a strength for him. He leads a league in broken tackles after a catch with 16. And he's not too bad running the football either. He runs for 3.5 yards a pop. That's good enough to move the sticks. He get three and a half yards every play. That'll move the chains for you. And he has three rushing touchdowns. Austin Eckler right now, to me, is one of the two best running backs in the AFC. Or at least he has been through the first eight weeks of the year. Let's go to the wide receiver positions. I have two of them. The first one, no surprise. The second one might be a little bit of a surprise. DeAndre Hopkins. That's the one that's no surprise, by the way. 617 receiving yards, three touchdowns, 10.3 yards per catch. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the all-time greats of this generation, and 2019 has done nothing to make us think otherwise. The other wide receiver that stood out to me here early on, DJ Shark. Do, 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 of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You look at his resume, 7th in the NFL in total receiving yards with 660, and he's tied for first in receiving touchdowns with six. He's been a guy that's helped along the rookie quarterback, Garner Minshew, who may not even have been expecting to play this year, had to step in week one, in the first quarter of week one, in fact, for an injured Nick Foles. And DJ Chark has been a big reason why Garner's been able to succeed, and it's been a coming-out party for Chark. If you don't know that name... You should. That's a guy to keep an eye on the back end of the year. The tight end, I'm going with only one. And right now, that's Travis Kelsey. And Kelsey, you can make the argument, is the best tight end in football right now. Not just the AFC, but in all of football. He leads all tight ends with 604 receiving yards, going for 14.4 yards per catch. You could very easily make a case that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL right now. So those are my skill position guys for the AFC All-Pro midseason team. How about we go up front to the offensive line? At the left tackle position, I'm going with Ronnie Stanley of the Baltimore Ravens. Former Notre Dame guy. I'd love to have him back at Notre Dame right about now. He's allowed just four quarterback pressures on 259 pass-blocking attempts. He's one of only four full-time starters in the league this year to allow less than 10 pressures so far. The left guard position, I'm going with another former Notre Damer, Quentin Nelson of the Indianapolis Colts. Pro Football Focus has him with an 87.5 overall grade at his position. That is on pace to be the highest for an NFL guard since Zach Martin back in 2015, and that was the year the Cowboys went 13-3. and That's pretty good company to be a part of. At center, I'm going with Rodney Hudson of the Raiders. Now, he's about to miss his first snap since 2015. He just got hurt. We got that news a couple of days ago, unfortunate, because as of Sunday, the five starters on the Raiders' offensive line hadn't played a snap together all season long. And they briefly did, and then Hudson, who'd been a rock for them, Went down with an injury, no timetable yet on his return. But he's been a rock for that offensive line. Again, he hadn't missed a snap till 2015, and at least he hasn't. That streak will be alive until Sunday. He's one of the best centers as far as pass protection in the NFL. He is a quarterback, a drop-back quarterback's dream. Rodney Hudson right now has been the best AFC center to me at the midway point of the season. Right guard, I'm going with David DeCastro of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He hasn't allowed a sack, playing 425 snaps so far this season. And again, he's one of the best pass-protecting blockers in the NFL. Roethlisberger's had the benefit of playing with him for many years. Mason Rudolph did, now he does again. Even Devlin Hodges stepped in there and was serviceable, largely because of the play of the offensive line, anchored by David DeCastro. 
At the right tackle position, I'm going with Kansas City's Mitchell Schwartz. He hasn't allowed a sack in 515 snaps he's taken so far this year. Pro Football Focus has him with an overall grade of 84.7. So that is my starting offense for the AFC Midseason All-Pro team. How about on defense? With the two defensive ends, I'm going with Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns at one spot. He leads the NFL with 10 sacks. He also has 24 tackles and two forced fumbles. He just simply wreaks havoc. Cleveland has struggled this year. They've been disappointing. They haven't done so because of Miles Garrett. And then on the other side, I'm going with J.J. Watt. I know his season is over as of Sunday, but he led the league with quarterback hits. I guess he still does until someone passes him up now that he's not going to play the second half of the year. But he does still lead the league with 20 quarterback hits. He also has 24 tackles and four sacks. Quite simply, Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt have been the best defensive ends in the AFC through the first half of the year because of the havoc that they wreak. The two interior linemen. One spot I'm given to Cameron Hayward of Pittsburgh. 27 tackles, 6 sacks. Despite dealing with a nagging injury throughout there, he's been dealing with a quad injury, yet he has still been an anchor on a Pittsburgh defensive line. And then Calais Campbell of the Jacksonville Jaguars. 42 quarterback hurries this year. That is the most for an interior lineman in the NFL. Oh, and by the way, it's not his natural position. He used to be an edge rusher. They switched him to the interior side of the line this year so they could give Josh Allen more snaps. They took him in the seventh round of the draft this year. Now they get them both on the field and both are excelling. The three linebackers, number one, I'm going with Jamie Collins of the New England Patriots. This is a dark horse candidate for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. This is a name you need to know. A lot of people don't, but you need to. 44 tackles, six sacks, three interceptions, and two forced fumbles. Again, if you wreak havoc, you're probably on my list. And Jamie Collins has done that for the best defense in the NFL thus far. Other linebacker spot, I'm going with T.J. Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Both the Watt brothers are on here. Watt has been one of the more effective edge rushers this year. 23 tackles, 6 sacks, and 1 interception. He leads a league in overall pro football focus grade at 91.6 and pass rush grade of 91.4. The third linebacker spot, this might surprise some people, but I'm going to go with Joe Schobert of Cleveland. Now hear me out, 73 tackles this year, that's second most only to Blake Martinez, and he's had four double-digit tackle games. The Browns have played seven games this year, Schobert has reached double-digit tackles in four of the team's seven games. Right now he has been one of the best three linebackers in the AFC up to this point. How about the defensive backfield? We've got Jonathan Jones of the New England Patriots at a corner position. He's a slot corner, the completion rate against him is 55.8. He's allowed just 264 yards on 43 targets this year, meaning quarterbacks have thrown to the receiver that he's covering 43 times, not 43 completions, 43 times, 43 attempts for just 264 yards. The other corner on my midseason AFC All-Pro team is also a New England Patriot, and it's not Stephon Gilmore. It's Jason McCourty. He leads the NFL with 14 coverage stops, and he has allowed just seven first downs on 42 targets. That is the best rate of any starting defensive back in the league. Now, Stephon Gilmore, I get he goes up against every team's number one. He's allowed about 313 yards so far this year, so he's given up a few more yards than he did at this point last year. That being said, he still may very well be the best defensive player in the NFL. He might. He might end up getting that at the end of the year. But I want to go based on performance. I'm making my list based on performance, not projection. 
And to me, the body work for Jones and McCourty speaks for itself. The two safeties. New England had the market on corners. Who has the market on safeties? Well, it's the Denver Broncos, in my opinion. Justin Simmons leads the NFL, at least all safeties, and pass breakups with seven. No other safety has more than four. Justin Simmons is a guy who's really benefited from Vic Fangio taking over a defensive-minded head coach. To put it in perspective, seven pass breakups at the midway point of the season. He had three all of last year. Also, Kareem Jackson from the Broncos. He's one of the hardest hitting safeties in the NFL. He's got an excellent pro football focus coverage grade of 77.7 and he's made 32 tackles this year. Plus he's versatile. You can play him as a slot corner as well. So that is my starting defense for my midseason AFC All-Pro team. How about special teams? Kicker I'm going with Josh Lambeau of the Jacksonville Jaguars. At one point it looked like his career was over. It looked like he was a wash in the NFL. Now He's made a league-high 21 field goals. He hasn't missed a field goal, and he's converted five times from 40 yards or farther with a long of 48 this year. He has been Mr. Reliable. The best punter in the NFL this year, not just the AFC, but the NFL, has been Brent Kern of the Tennessee Titans. He leads the NFL with 26 punts pinned inside the 20. His average, 47 yards per punt. The head coach of this squad, and we're going to go a little further. I'll give you a midseason All-Pro head coach. The easy answer is Belichick, but I'm going to give it to Frank Reich for the job that he I'm high on Frank Reich, the Indianapolis Colts, the job that he's done, turning around the Colts after a 1-5 start last year, getting into the playoffs, winning a playoff game, and this year, knowing that he doesn't have a starting quarterback, maybe a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, an MVP caliber quarterback, a month before the season kicks off, and suddenly the Colts are 5-2 and two in the playoff picture, to me, that's on coaching, and that's why Frank Reich right now is my midseason choice for AFC Coach of the Year. So that's my AFC All-Pro Midway team. Let's go to the NFC, and I know i got to run through these quick before we hit the 5 o'clock hour. I tell you what, the best two quarterbacks in the NFL through the first eight weeks of the year both reside in the NFC, and this was one of the toughest position groups to choose from. Now, I could give you the numbers. I could say how my choice is second in the NFL in passing yards this year with 2,324. I could say how he's second in touchdown passes with 16, only trailing the guy that rivals him with 17. But I tell you what, the reason that I'm picking Aaron Rodgers as my midseason all-pro NFC quarterback over Russell Wilson is because I think about it this way. If I need to win one game, if everything comes down to one game, which quarterback gives me the best chance to win it? Not personnel, not coaching. Which quarterback do I trust more to win me one game? I trust Aaron just a little bit more than I do Russ. That being said, they're both right now the best two quarterbacks in the NFL at this point in 2019. The NFC also has the best two running backs in the NFL at this point in the season. At one spot, I'm going with Dalvin Cook of the Minnesota Vikings. He leads the NFL in rushing yards with 823 and rushing touchdowns with nine. Dalvin Cook is rightfully in the MVP race. I don't think he's going to get it, 
but he's rightfully in the conversation. The other running back that, to me, has been one of the top two in the NFL this year is Christian McCaffrey of the Carolina Panthers. 735 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, but he's been one of the better pass-catching backs in the NFL, and he has been the offense for a Carolina team that looked to Cam Newton to get them into the postseason this year. Now he's become their best offensive player and rightfully an MVP candidate, largely because of his ability to be a dual-threat running back. And what I mean by that is the ability to run the football and the ability to catch it out of the backfield. He has 343 receiving yards this year, an average of 8.8 yards per catch. A running back with 8.8 yards per catch. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook make up my two running backs at this point. How about the two wide receivers? Just like the AFC, there's one that should be no surprise and the other that is probably a bigger surprise than DJ Chark. One spot I'm giving to Michael Thomas, 875 yards. That leads the NFL. I tell you what, Michael Thomas is another one of those guys. He's a Hall of Fame talent. His Twitter name says it all, Can't Guard Mike. Well, nobody has very well so far this year. 2019 has done nothing to hurt his Hall of Fame campaign. The other top wide receiver in the NFC up to this point, I'm going with Chris Godwin of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 705 receiving yards, that's fifth most in the NFL, and six receiving touchdowns, that's tied for the NFL lead. This was a Tampa Bay receiving core that looked to be centered around Mike Evans. And suddenly, Chris Godwin is putting up numbers among the league's best. He is one of those guys that appears in both lists, both top five lists in yards and touchdowns. And he does this with Jameis Winston as his quarterback. The tight end spot. It had been very easy for me to go with George Kittle. I think you can make a case very easily. It should be George Kittle. In fact, I think I had George Kittle penciled down for this until I like somebody else's numbers better. And that is Austin Hooper of the Atlanta Falcons. 591 yards receiving this year, five touchdowns. He has more total receptions and yards per game than Kittle. Kittle, by comparison, 462 yards and one TD. That's why I'm going with Hooper slightly ahead of George Kittle, although I think you can make the case for both and you wouldn't be wrong. How about the offensive line? At left tackle, let's go with Tyron Smith of the Dallas Cowboys. Just one sack allowed this season. I know he's missed the last two games, but you can look at that and say, look how much the Cowboys were missing him. You realize his value via subtraction. That's what it was like for the Cowboys without Tyron Smith. How about at left guard? I'm going with Kevin Zeitler of the New York Giants. He's a guy that came over in the trade for Odell Beckham Jr. He's allowed just two sacks, and he's committed one penalty all season long. Kevin Zeitler has been maybe the Giants' best offensive lineman so far this year. And let's face it, the Giants' offensive line has been bad for a number of years. At center, we're going with Eric McCoy of the New Orleans Saints. He has allowed just seven pressures on 326 pass-blocking snaps. He ranks top eight in both run and pass-blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. At right guard, this was a toughie for me, but I like Brandon Brooks of the Philadelphia Eagles just a little more than I do Zach Martin of the Cowboys. He leads the NFL in both pass and run blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus. And finally in the offensive line, at right tackle we're going with Ryan Ramchek of the New Orleans Saints. Pro Football Focus gives him a grade of 88.7 in the run blocking category. That is second best among NFL tackles this year. He's been a big reason why the Saints have been so dominant here in the early going, especially on the ground with the likes of Latavius Murray having somewhat of a coming out party. 
So that is my NFC offensive midseason all-pro team. Let's go to the defensive side of things. And I should go with two defensive ends. I'm going to tweak this just a little bit because I didn't want to bump a deserving player. One defensive end is going to be Daniil Hunter, the Minnesota Vikings. 39 tackles this year, 11 tackles for a loss, plus 8 sacks. He just simply wreaks havoc. Daniil Hunter gets one defensive end spot. And then the other, I know he's not a defensive end, so I just list him as an edge rusher. And that's, of course, Khalil Mack. Only J.J. Watt has more individual pressures on opposing quarterbacks this season. Different year, same Khalil Mack. Just simply causes havoc. The two interior linemen won, no surprises, Aaron Donald of the L.A. Rams. Don't tell me about his low sack count. If you think that's evidence against Aaron Donald or think that he's having a down year, you're not watching Aaron Donald and the Rams play this season because he is literally drawing three men to him every time to keep him off the quarterback. He is getting triple teamed, and that is leaving the offensive line exposed. Aaron Donald just causes havoc, and he makes coaches' schemes specifically for him. The other defensive tackle spot, this was tough. I actually penciled in Grady Jarrett of the Atlanta Falcons at first, but then I changed it to Cameron Jordan of the New Orleans Saints. 28 tackles this year, 7 tackles for a loss. His 8 sacks are 4th best in the NFL. Now I like that a little bit more than Grady Jarrett, who has 44 tackles this year, but largely that could be attributed to him being the best defensive player on a really bad team. And he only has three sacks compared to Jordan's eight. The three linebackers. At one spot, I'm going with Eric Kendricks of Minnesota. 23 tackles on run plays. That leads the NFL this season. 23 tackles on run plays. Eric Kendricks plus 10 pass breakups. That also leads the NFL. No one else has more than six. Ten pass breakups for Eric Kendricks this year. Nobody else has more than six. Luke Keekley. 72 total tackles. That is fifth overall in the NFL. And two interceptions. He has been the anchor of a Panthers defense that somehow is staying in the fight. And the third linebacker I'm going with is Shaq Barrett of Tampa Bay. He leads all linebackers with 10 sacks, is tied for most overall in the NFL. 27 tackles, one interception, and four forced fumbles, plus two pass deflections. Can you see that I like it when my defenders wreak havoc? That's why a lot of them are getting these nods. How about the cornerback position? For me, Quentin Dunbar of the Washington Redskins has been their best corner on paper, statistically, not Josh Norman. Three interceptions this year, only 204 yards allowed through eight games for Washington this year. He's been a bright spot for a Redskins team that really has been struggling in-house and on the field. The other corner on my list is Janoris Jenkins of the New York Giants, a jackrabbit. Four interceptions, that's tied for second most in the NFL. Ten pass deflections, plus 35 tackles. Now, you know, you don't like your cornerbacks making tackles, especially 35 of them in eight games. But when the Giants' defense is as bad as it is, you're going to have to get it from somebody. Let's just say this, no one's ever accused the Giants' defense of being talented. Janoris Jenkins has to be. The two safeties, I'm going with Marcus Williams of the New Orleans Saints. What a bounce back year for him. He's allowed just 51 yards on 13 targets this year. Quarterbacks have a QBR of 42.9 when targeting his area. 
Marcus Williams has been one of the shutdown corners in the NFC, really the whole NFL this year. The other safety I'm going with, Anthony Harris of the Minnesota Vikings. Three interceptions, 37 tackles this year. Him and Harry the Hitman, they might be the best safety duo in the NFL. How about special teams? Kicker. I'm going with, this was a toughie, but I think I'm going to go with Jake Elliott of the Eagles. He's 9 of 9 on field goal attempts this year, 6 of 6 from 30 yards or longer with a long of 53, extra points, 19 to 20. I know he hasn't made many kicks with just 9, but he's made all of them that he's tried, yet his numbers just scream reliability to me, that if the sample size was greater, I still feel like he would have a probably a 100 percentage, something pretty close. And then best punter in the NFC at the midway point, Tress Way of the Redskins. And we all know that he's gotten plenty of opportunities to prove how good of a punter he is so far. He is averaging 50 yards per punt. That is best in the league. And a net of 45 yards per punt. He's top six in both total punts and punting yards. He has fit 15 to 39 inside the 20-yard line this year. So I tell you what, those are my player awards for the ESPN UP midseason all pro teams in the NFC how about coach of the year up to this point it's got to be Kyle Shanahan doesn't it Kyle Shanahan with an assist to Robert Sala yeah what the 49ers have done this year winning in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo winning in spite of the lack of superstar talent what they've done so far this year I don't think that there's anyone who's done a better job coaching in the NFC than Kyle Shanahan up to this point those are my AFC and NFC midseason all-pro teams. I hope you enjoyed it. A lot of research, a lot of work went into that. And with that, we are out of time. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. I know I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. Signing off from ESPN, UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette Studios. I'm Tanner Hoops.